0: Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas to all of you this morning. It is so wonderful to see you here. My name is Tim Park. I serve as our lead pastor. And if this is your first time visiting E Free Church or if you are a guest, a special welcome to you and a very Merry Christmas on this day before Christmas. And this morning, I'm going to share with you a Christmas message entitled The Story of Our Savior. Part one, and that's important, the story of our Savior, part one, and I'm going to leave you hanging because tonight I'm going to finish off with the story of our Savior, part two. We are currently in a series on Sunday mornings here at Efree Church through the Gospel of John. The, The title of this series is The Wonders of Jesus, and today, this morning and this evening, we are actually wrapping up chapter one of this incredible gospel. And the passage that we're going to look at this morning and this evening, the same passage, fits perfectly for the occasion this weekend. And so I invite you in your Bibles to turn to John chapter 1. I'm going to read to you verse 14 and then verses 16 to 18. John chapter 1. I'll start with verse 14 and then 16 through 18. You can follow along here on the screen as well. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Out of His fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God But the one and only Son, who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made Him known. Now, throughout this morning's message and this evening's message, I'm going to share with you the story of our Savior. And the story of our Savior begins long before His birth. And this morning and this evening... I have four simple points, four simple truths about the story of the Savior. I'm going to share the first two this morning, and I'll share the final two this evening. And for those who can't be here this evening... I'm going to give you a sneak peek, so I'll go ahead and spoiler alert, I'm going to give you all four points right now, and then we'll unfold them between now and the end of this evening. And so, the story of our Savior has four truths, four points. We've got the sign, we've got the solution, the surprise, the sacrifice. The sign, the solution, the surprise, the sacrifice. I need your help all together. Ready, go. The sign. The solution, the surprise, and the sacrifice. So this morning, I begin with the first truth. And that's the sign. The sign. By now, most of us have already been in our share of packed parking lots. That's right, right? We've all been in crowded parking lots already this season. And one of the most humorous sights that I find every Christmas season is Observing people looking for their car in a parking lot. It's really kind of uh, humorous as they're roaming up and down the aisles, up and down, wondering where their car is, back and forth. You know, just this past week, I braved the crowds at Costco. Yes. In fact, I had to go there several times. And one time that I went... As I was entering Costco, there was a couple exiting Costco, a man and a woman, with their packed shopping cart. And as I was walking in, this man and woman are walking by me. They hadn't even made five steps outside the store. When the man turns to the woman and says, I have no idea where we parked. (laughs) It's as if he had already given up. He wasn't even in the parking lot. He was five steps out the door. I have no idea where we parked. And that's how it is this time of the year. You know, watching people trying to find their car in a crowded parking lot, it can be funny unless you're in the car following them, (laughs) wanting their spot. And so you follow them to one aisle, and they're like, and then they walk to the other aisle, and then you've lost that spot. Some years ago, our family went to a soccer match at the Rose Bowl. There were over 90,000 people at this soccer match on a Saturday night. If you've ever been to the Rose Bowl, you know that you park on top of a golf course adjacent to the Rose Bowl. And that golf course is dark, and there are no signs on that parking lot, so to speak. And so there we were, 90,000 people. And after the match, we made our way back to our car. Thankfully, we found our car. But then we proceeded to wait in our car for two hours to get out of the golf course, the parking lot. And it was dark. And there were no signs. I mean, it would have been helpful for people if there were signs like E7 or D4 or Goofy or Mickey, right? It'd be nice if there were signs like that, but no signs whatsoever on this golf course. And so we waited for two hours. But the saddest part of that evening was watching one family roam the parking lot for the duration of those two hours looking for their car. I felt so bad for them, a dad, a mom, and their kids roaming up and down, you know, hole number nine, hole number 10, and they could not find their car until finally most of the cars had exited that parking lot. Signs would have been helpful there. It was quite chaotic. Tonight, I'm going to play a game with your kids, all right? And so I invite you to come back with your kids. I'm going to play a game with all the kids tonight involving signs, okay? Because the majority of the kids are downstairs right now. They're getting ready for a special performance later on. And so tonight when you come back with your kids and we worship together, I'm going to play a fun game involving signs with your kids. But for now, I want to take us all back many centuries ago a place called Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital of the nation of Judah. And the nation of Judah was led by a king by the name of Ahaz. Ahaz came from the line of the great King David. But here's the thing about Ahaz. Ahaz was not a man of God. He did not honor God. I invite you to turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 7. I'm going to read to you verses 10 Through 12, Isaiah 7. And here's the account of this king named Ahaz. In verse 10 says this Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, I'm going to read verses 13 and 14 in just a minute, but I want to first of all give you a little background to this exchange between Ahaz and God. During the divided kingdom, which you can read about in the book of 1 Kings, Israel was the kingdom in the north. Down below in the south was the kingdom of Judah, Jerusalem was the capital city of Judah at that time. King Ahaz ruled the nation of Judah in the south. Israel to the north, they schemed with Syria to attack Judah, the southern kingdom. So God sent the prophet prophet Isaiah to King Ahaz. And the message was this, Ahaz, you will not be defeated. Trust in me. Ask me for the sign that I will protect you. But what does Isaiah say? I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, before you think, wow, that was very noble of Ahaz, very righteous. The reality was, here's what Ahaz was really saying. God I don't trust you with the fate of my city. I'm going to do it my way. So I'm not going to ask for your help. But look at the remarkable thing that God does. Look at verse 13. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, did you notice here a very important fact? Isaiah addresses Ahaz by the term house of David. He doesn't say, Hey, Ahaz, come over here. He's speaking to the entire nation because it was through the line of David, the house of David, that would come the Messiah. Now, it's important for us to know something very important about Old Testament prophecy. Some of the prophecies that were made in the Old Testament, they had a, what we call, dual fulfillment. So there were some prophecies that were called dual fulfillment prophecies. In other words, these prophecies, they had a short-term fulfillment, immediate, and then also a long-term fulfillment, an ultimate fulfillment with a much greater purpose. Did you know that if you were to read Isaiah chapter 8, the very next chapter, you would read about the immediate fulfillment of this short-term prophecy? There was a child that was born in the time of King Ahaz, who was given the name, Emmanuel. And that was a sign to King Ahaz and the nation of Judah that God would be with them. Because the very name, Emmanuel, means God is with us, or God With us. And so this prophecy had a short term immediate fulfillment. There was a baby born. Read about that again in Isaiah chapter 8. But we must know this Ahaz lived hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. In fact, Ahaz lived about 700 years before the birth of Christ. And so God had a greater purpose in mind for this prophecy. So yes, there was an immediate fulfillment, but there would ultimately be the second greater fulfillment in the birth of Jesus. You see, Ahaz did not trust God, but God intervened, and he gave the sign. And that sign would be more than Ahaz could ever have imagined. Here's the thing about God and how he works. And you can nod if you agree with me. God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always perfect. Is God's timing always my timing? No. In fact, oftentimes it's not my timing. But God's timing is always perfect. And maybe you've discovered this in your life. I have in my life. God often intervenes when I least expect it. When I least expect it. Now, it would be tempting for us to read this passage about King Ahaz and say, God, you told Ahaz to ask you for a sign. That means I should ask you for signs as well. Before you come to that conclusion, before you jump to that conclusion, I want to talk about another man in the Old Testament by the name of Gideon. Gideon's account can be found in the book of Judges chapter 6. Allow me just to describe his account. Gideon himself was a judge, a leader in God's nation. And God commissioned Gideon, to lead his people against the conquering Midianites. Gideon is overwhelmed. He's full of stress, anxiety, fear, and doubt. And in order to alleviate his fears, guess what? Gideon asks God for a sign. So he says, God, I've got this wool fleece, kind of like this sweater. Don't you like my sweater? So I've got this wool fleece, and I'm going to put it on the ground overnight. And if, if you are truly going to be with me and your people, then do this for me. In the morning, if there is dew only on the fleece, and the ground around it and below it is completely dry, then I know that you will protect us. So the next morning, Gideon wakes up. He goes out, finds the green fleece, and then he wrings it out, enough to fill a whole bowl. So you would think at that point, Gideon has gotten his answer from God. But Gideon, he's not sure. And so he goes, okay, one more test is in order. So he goes to God and says, God, please do not be angry with me. Allow me just one more request. This time, I'm going to put the wool fleece outside on the ground. And the next morning, if the fleece is completely dry, but the ground below it is soaking wet, then I know for sure you will protect us. And of course, that's that's exactly what happened. The next morning, the wool fleece was completely dry. Now, based on Gideon's experience in the Old Testament, the temptation has been for some to, quote, put out the fleece. Have you heard that phrase? Put out the fleece. In other words, they'll say, God, please show me a sign. I need a sign, just like you showed Gideon, just like you showed Ahaz, I need a sign. Well, the reality is this. Before you jump to that conclusion, please know this. Gideon lacked faith. Ahaz simply did not trust God. So my encouragement to us this morning is it is not wise to follow their examples. Now, does that mean that we should never consider signs? No. Signs can and do play roles in our lives. God might open some doors for you. He might close other doors for you. But did you know, at the same time, just because a door is closed doesn't mean it's time to stop knocking. God might be saying, just knock a little bit longer. And just because a door is open doesn't mean you mindlessly walk through it. You know, more than anything else, when I look at the accounts of Gideon and Ahaz, here's what I'm reminded of. Remember, Gideon lacked faith. Ahaz, he did not trust God. So here, more than anything else, is what I am reminded of when I read the accounts of Gideon and Ahaz. God is a gracious and patient God. Especially when our faith is weak and our trust is low. And here's where you and I We have a distinct advantage over Gideon and Ahaz. You and I have something they did not have. You and I, we have the finished written word of God. That's why it's better for us in 2023, heading into 2024, it's better for us to ask God for guidance through his word rather than than turning over every stone looking for a sign. We've got the Word of God right here available to us at our fingertips. And it's the written Word of God, this sign, that gives us the solution. And the solution is this, Jesus Christ. And that is point number two. Jesus Christ is the solution. He's a solution to all our fears and all our doubts. He's a solution to all of our failures and our mistakes. And more than anything else, Jesus is a solution to our sins and transgressions. The reason why we celebrate Christmas is because Jesus came into the world Because we needed a savior. That is the only reason why we celebrate Christmas. The reason why Jesus came into the world is because we needed a savior. God, in his perfect love and his perfect mercy, he provided the only way of salvation through his son. I know this time of the year, people talk much about the magic of Christmas. It's wonderful. We celebrate, we rejoice. But the sole reason why we celebrate Christmas is because Jesus came to save us from our sins. That is the message of Christmas. And the message of Christmas is one of hope. Light came into the world to save us from darkness. And the reality is this. This time of the year, as festive as it is, it can feel extraordinarily stressful. Don't raise your hand. I'm going to ask you, how many of you are feeling a little bit stressed out? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> how many of you are feeling a little bit stressed out? I want to thank my family. They put up with a, a, a husband and a father who had to prepare for two messages. <laughs> so, thank you, family. It's been a busy season for all of us. We've all been busy, stressed. Many are feeling anxious. And as festive as it may be this time of the year, the reality is this many are lonely. And some are in a dark place. When we watch commercials and ads on TV, everyone seems so happy. Every family is so perfect. They're sitting around the dinner table, sitting around the Christmas tree, laughing and hugging and being merry. But the reality is this. For many here this morning, it's not all laughs and hugs. Some here this morning have a loved one in the hospital as we speak. Some here this morning have had to say goodbye to a loved one who passed in recent years. Some here this morning are currently experiencing strained family relationships and tomorrow may provide anxiety because of the awkwardness. And some here this morning have made poor decisions in the past and they wonder if God can ever forgive them. The solution to every one of those scenarios is Jesus. You give me a scenario. And my answer is Jesus. That's the solution. God knew what we needed. God always knows what we need. And even beyond that, did you know that God always wants the best for his children? What parent doesn't want the best for his or her child? And here at our church, we have so many wonderful parents and wonderful grandparents. I think one of the biggest blessings of EFree Church is every Sunday we worship together with like four generations of people. Grandparents, can I speak to you for just a minute? And I see many grandparents here this morning. You know this, the love that a grandparent has for a grandchild is a very special one. It's very unique. It's unique because you've raised your kids. Now it's time to enjoy the fruits of your labor. and They're called your grandkids. And part of being grandparents is being able to lavish gifts upon their grandkids. I came across this humorous list comparing the difference between how a parent raises the child and how the grandparent treats that same child, the grandchild. And so when it comes to nutrition, the parent says to the child, no, you cannot have dessert until you eat your broccoli. The grandparent says, broccoli is gross, have a cookie. When it comes to homework, the parent says, I could do this for you, but you wouldn't learn anything. You need to figure this out on your own. Grandparent says, well, put a comma there and a period over there. Let's order a pizza now. (laughs) How about chores? The parent says, clean your room and then rake the leaves grandparent says it's saturday let's stay in our pajamas all day long eat popcorn and watch movies and finally when it comes to financial planning the parent says if you want those 150 and fifty dollar pair of sneakers you save your allowance for six months and then we'll make up the difference the grandparent says what size are you dear here you go Whether you are a parent or a grandparent, we all want the best for our children, don't we? We want them to have a better life than we have. Now, we may have different ideas of what is best for our kids and grandkids. But the fact is we want what is best. The point of Christmas is this. God lavished on us the most incredible, extraordinary gift we could ever imagine. In 1 John chapter 3, in verse 1, the Apostle John writes this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. You know, the most fundamental truth about God's love is that he acted upon his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one, his only son. Jesus is a solution to our fears and doubts. He is a solution to our failures and our mistakes. And he is a solution to our sins and our transgressions. Now, I know that in this room this morning, there are many fears and there are many doubts. Did you know that those who walked the earth with Jesus they also had doubts and fears. So those who followed Jesus, as they looked ahead to what was coming, they realized, you know what? I made a commitment to follow Jesus. He's headed to his death. What does that mean for me? So his followers faced fears and doubts. Some of them, when they committed their lives to Jesus, They were disowned by their families. They lost their jobs. They were without shelter or clothing. So they faced some serious fears. And yes, some of them faced the fear of death. That was a real fear. Did you know, do you know what Jesus said to relieve their fears? He said this in Matthew 6. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And then he goes on to talk about the birds of the air and the flowers in the field. And God takes care of all of them. And if God takes care of them, how much more will he take care of us? Now, That's Matthew's account. Luke also shares that same account. But what's fascinating is, in Luke's account, he adds something that you don't read in Matthew's account. So in Luke 12, in verse 22, it says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. So right there, so far, it sounds just like Matthew's account. But then, in verse 32, Luke adds this, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So when we combine Matthew's account with Luke's account, we discover one Amazingly important truth. You and I should not be anxious. You and I should not fear. Not because we're going to get everything we want, but because God has already given us everything we need. The kingdom. In other words, God has given us all we need In Jesus. This time of the year, it's common to look ahead to 2024 and, you know, wish everyone a prosperous and healthy new year. And that's nice. But this year, would you consider something a little bit different? Looking ahead to 2024, what if your health fails you? In 2024, what if instead of a pay raise, you get a pay cut? Is God any less good? Of course not. And so, as followers of Jesus Christ, we already have all we need in the person of Jesus. And so we want 2024 to be a Christ-filled new year. And as we look ahead to tomorrow, many of you will gather with loved ones and friends throughout this coming week into New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. To make this special for you this week, I'd like you to consider asking two questions this week. Ask two questions every day this week starting tomorrow. Maybe even starting today. But the two questions are going to be asked to two different people. The first question you're going to ask to somebody else. The second question you're going to ask yourself. So, the first question that you're going to ask to somebody else, it could be anybody else a loved one, a friend, a church member, a coworker. The question is this What hurts? Dur- during your conversation tomorrow around the dinner table, maybe ask somebody, what hurts? Another way to ask this question is, what burdens you? What, what fears do you have? In what ways are you feeling anxious? What hurts? Ask somebody that this week. Would you do that? In your conversation, just ask, what hurts? What burdens you? And the second question, you're not going to ask that person, okay? You're going to save it for yourself. When you walk away you ask yourself this question. What can I do to help? You see, because oftentimes we go to someone and we ask, hey, what can I do to help? I'm here if you need me. Chances are that person will say, it's okay. I don't need anything. I don't want to inconvenience you. So you save them from that. And instead of asking the person how can I help? You ask yourself. So when you've asked somebody what hurts and you have discover what burdens that person, then in the coming days, you find a way to help that person without that person even initiating. That might mean dropping off a meal at the doorstep later that week. That might mean sending a card in the mail That might even mean just showing up with your lawnmower. (laughs) What hurts? Ask someone that question, and then ask yourself, what can I do to help? God knew that we were hurting, so he took the initiative to send a package in the form of his son. He knew we needed a savior, and he provided the solution and that's the reason why we celebrate christmas i invite you back tonight we're going to look at the surprise and finally the sacrifice would you bow with me father thank you for jesus he is a solution to all our fears and doubts our failures and our mistakes And most importantly, he's the solution to our sins and transgressions. Jesus, thank you for coming into this world to save us. We celebrate you today. Be glorified, King of all kings. We pray these things in your name. Amen.